Hold on, Jason's got music on. Can you hear it? No, I can't hear it. You got your door closed? Yeah, it's kind of loud. Hold on. Yeah, I haven't turned it off. Oh, it's not music. It's the vacuum, and I do not want to stop him. Oh my god. <laughs> Did you see on on our little outline? I'm gonna read some of the names of people who suggested this movie, and then you get to read the second half of the names so that both yes, of us I are did reading see that. the names. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. I love it. Where's the iron? Can mice and birds sew? Polly, don't cut off that dress. Where's the iron? Where's the iron? Taffeta. Muslin. I'd wear that. Is that machine even threaded? Hey, listener. It's season two. You might have forgotten who we are. I'm Liza. I'm the sewing one. I'm Megan. I'm the writing one. And you are listening to There's No Thread. Today, we turn our sewing and writing eyes upon the 2017 rom-drom. Nice. Do you like that? Yes. <laughs> the Phantom Thread. I was like the presence of the H in the drum. Well, I wanted to make sure it wasn't rom-dram. Yeah. Gotta get yep. that no, I like in it. there. Rom-drom. That's a good VO script for you. Yeah. The Phantom Thread, to iron out whether Reynolds, Woodcock, and his team of couture pattern makers, cutters, and seamstresses could, would, and should sew all that fashion stuff while Reynolds is off somewhere eating mushrooms. Brutal, Liza. <laughs> uh, Megan, the answer is yes. Yes, they could do it. This is a professional fashion house, and that's what they do every day. Yep. I don't even know why we're doing this movie. There is no could would or should to solve here well actually that's not true they definitely could do it i guess there's still a question of whether they would do it and should mm-hmm. do it are we talking specifically about the wedding dress the fashion in general but also the wedding dress mm, okay but uh yeah we can hone in on the wedding dress thing because my first thought was like yeah man she's got a full team they can totally do it and yeah this is I the mean, first time i've ever thought that this is their job <laughs> this is why we've never chosen this movie because it's a very clear cut if you will. Exactly. Okay, this is why we're starting season two off with Phantom Thread, because everyone has suggested it to us. Mm -hmm. My very favorite suggestion, and I'm going to quote this anonymously, is another friend who's in the biz. She said, of course, I'm sure Phantom Thread is on your list. I did not enjoy Phantom Thread. In fact, a group of us from work went, it all annoyed us. Some of the sewing but mostly because it was a stupid movie about a stupid man and who really cares. <laughs> Preach, girl. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay, so here's a little list of people who suggested this movie to us. I'm going to put in, like, some funny music in the background. Okay. Okay. Adam, Alex, Allison, Becky, Bernie, Beth, Brian, Brooke, Donna, Elizabeth, Emily, Jeff, Take It Megan, Jess, Kate, Kathleen, Catherine, Kristen, Lois, Louise, Michael, Mike, Nancy, Paula, and Will. Love you guys. Agreed. But like, nothing for us to solve here. Like, they're pros. They do this. This is what they do. But once the like 10th person suggested Phantom Thread, I figured, you know what? Like, let's just give the people what they want. I can just chill out on my little rules and stuff. So, Megan, are we ready? Yes. Yes. There is a lot to talk about. I mean, there we can mostly so talk just about. talk about Reynolds socks for about an hour, but also there's some there's some legit stuff we can talk about here. Um, <laughs> so buckle up, listener. <laughs> after you finished watching this movie, did you immediately do a role play scene with your husband? Because I did. Oh, oh my god, no! But you know, I'm kind of glad you brought that up because, like, a couple days later, I made a mushroom omelet. Because I was just nice. like, God damn, this looks good. This looks delicious. <laughs> And, um, like, I made it, and Tall Guy was like, um, are you trying to phantom thread me right now? Yes. <laughs> and now it's a verb. 
Yeah. But you know, I really um, actually looked this up to see if this is like a real writer term or not. And I don't think it is. The idea of like, when you're reading a book, you're reading it for the food. Like I was thinking about all the books where if I think about the book, the thing that jumps out at me is like some delicious food. Like I was thinking about The Sun Also Rises. It's it's Hemingway. And they're just drinking red wine constantly in the sunshine. Oh, like just oh. a one-way ticket to Headache Town. Like I do not do yeah. that in real life. Right. Whenever I think about that book, I'm just like, oh yeah, red wine for hours. Oh my God, it's so true. And then in reality, you're like hot and then you get an immediate hangover and have to take a nap. Yeah. <laughs> right. But so many things like read beautifully and then in real life, they're garbage. I, I find that that's why reading is so enjoyable. Like- if I actually did this, I would be kind of uncomfortable. <laughs> I need a nap. I get tired of it quickly. Yeah. I've never even thought about that before. Uh, but I'm read I'm currently reading The Secret History by Donna Tart. Have you ever read that book? No, I don't know it. Oh man. She wrote the Goldfinch. So she wrote she writes like one book every ten years and she won a Pulitzer for one of her books. Anyway, it's like an enormous book. But the people in it um are in college and so they're all like pretty terrible at cooking. <laughs> and so like whenever they are about to eat something I'm kind of like oh that sounds awful it was like and then he you know reached for the boiled chicken or you know pulled this out of the oven I mean I think one of them's supposed to be a good cook oh but, no like, is it like do the a lot opposite of... effect of like you're getting a, a feeling of like gross food I'm getting a feeling of like unattended to food like I'm, I'm used to a level of food excellence um in my real life and I can really pick it <laughs> pick up when it's not present in my fictional life I'm trying to think what else I've read recently that had a good what did I read right before this oh the devil wears Prada in the white city oh my god Lisa. the devil wears Prada in the white city <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> um devil in the white city has beautiful food descriptions and elaborate meals that are given to these you know architects and at the world's fair and all this stuff so in that way yes i that is a really good point um <laughs> but it is all contextual right it's like the story has to kind of serve the food okay so yeah why don't you pick up with the phantom thread came out in 2017 okay the Phantom Thread came out in 2017. It was written and directed by PTA baby Paul Thomas Anderson with costume design by Mark Bridges. That's right. Megan, did you have any ideas about what the title meant, The Phantom Thread? I mean, I assumed it was like the, you know, mystery messages that are in the gown. And like the weird invisible connection between them, the two characters, their their weird relationship is the invisible thread that connects them. And like... They can tug on each other and control each other with this invisible thread. And like Phantom has sort of an ominousness to it, mm -hmm. um, much like, like their relationship or, or the, the dark parts covered up. Um, yeah, it's a little sinister. Yeah. yeah. I read that Paul Thomas Anderson named it that because it's like a term from Victorian London. The seamstresses would come home after hand sewing all day and feel that they were still sewing. You know, you can get like a ghost sensation in your body oh, if you've been doing yeah. like a repetitive motion. Like, you know, when you've been in the ocean all day and you're sleeping and you feel like you're still being pushed around your by phantom waves. motion, yeah. Yeah. But it also made me think of like, you know how like when there's a hair tickling you somewhere and you're like, oh, where mm -hmm. is it? Like, you can't see it. But like anyone who sews, like there's a thread on you somewhere at all yeah. times. You yeah. don't know where it is. You can't see it, but it's on you somewhere. It's on your clothing. I even have this like because I have cats. And like, they kind of are sneaking around. I sometimes I, I'm like, there's a cat right there. Oh, that's, there's nothing there. There's no cat. Oh, like you have a phantom cat. Like if I, something moves or flutters, I'm like, oh, there's Lola. Oh no, 
nope, that's nothing. Or I'll just like assume that there's a cat next to me and there won't be sometimes. That's really funny. Yeah, you can have like phantom kitty cats. <laughs> um, Megan, do you have a favorite Paul Thomas Anderson movie? I'm going to name off a couple. There's like Magnolia. Haven't seen it. Boogie Nights. Have seen it. Love it. Um, a bunch of other really serious ones that where I was kind of like, oh, this is a serious director. But then I found out that he is married to Maya Rudolph. Oh, yes. I knew that. And then I was yes. like, oh, he's he's funny. Like, he yeah. must be funny. And then he also directed um, Inherent Vice, which I love, like, Stoner oh, Solves Mystery in Los Angeles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. saw Inherent Vice. So, yeah. So that was neat to be like, oh. Because, you know, when I thought about this movie and I was researching, I was like, God, this movie is such a just all around bummer. And and this is the guy that did Magnolia. And I was like, but wait, he's funny. This is all like on purpose. Like mm -hmm. he's mm -hmm. he's doing a thing here. <laughs> he has a sense yeah. of humor. Well, also because Jason saw this in the theater whenever it came out. And mm -hmm. a couple times when we were watching it, he was like, oh, yeah, this is when everyone was everyone was laughing at this scene. And I was like, oh, OK, good. Because oh. it's so over the top interesting in, like some of these arguments like you know when she drops off the tea and he's he says the tea is gone but the interruption remains oh my god love that so much it's so good oh my god yeah i also just loved um the way in which i mean this is like one of my favorite things about all couples is like the way in which one one member can be annoyed and the other one just like is does not care like she's like cutting her toast and being all of her just like normal human self but and then also of course, like she kind of does care because she's like mm, you're out of line time to poison you <laughs> <laughs> and she's like gonna dig in a little bit oh this annoys yes. you scratch 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 yeah exactly <laughs> oh you don't want to go to the party well i'm going my boy Bye. <laughs> happy new year to me yeah <laughs> Also, costume designer Mark Bridges, uh, this movie won Best Costume Design. Oh. Yeah. That's not and, surprising. Yeah. he Mark Bridges has done a lot of movies. Uh, like, his three most recent were The Fableman's, Licorice Pizza, and News of the World. Um, he's a pretty frequent PTA collaborator. He did Boogie Nights. He did Inherent Vice. And one really cool thing about Mark Bridges, just as a costume designer, is he does his own costume sketches. Which is oh. not always that rare? the case. Um, okay. When you're in theater school, it's really heavily taught to you that, I mean, okay, so like you have to have a way to express your ideas. That's just a general like thing in whatever creative your field you're in. And when you're in costume school, the way that they teach you to do that is you have to do renderings with watercolor or gouache. These are costume illustrations. What and is gouache? It's just a, it's another type of paint. Oh, okay. Yeah. And the the thing is that it's such a, it's a different skill set entirely. And so I think in costume design school, if you are not good at painting, oftentimes you get a little hung up on like, am I going to be good at costume design? But it's an entirely different world. Like I am good at painting, but I'm not good at people, which is why I'm not a costume designer. <laughs> I'm not good at people or spending money or driving all around town. And those are like three major things you need to do if you're going to be a costume designer. But I would uh, say that you are better at people than you may realize. <laughs> Literally everyone who's ever met you is like, oh, Liza's delightful. And then I'm like, okay, now I need to boss you around and give you some budget instructions. Like, see, this yeah. is when it all falls apart. Right. Um, but somebody always has to do that. So might as well, if it's you or somebody else. But no, I get it. I mean, so it's interesting that like what a I think what, what a costume design program should emphasize is budgets and interpersonal stuff 
mm-hmm. and managerial um, stuff. Like you yeah. are overseeing teams, like and your communication, time, your team, your team's time, how to, and just seriously, like budgets and driving, mm-hmm. um, and being friendly with people, putting people at ease. Uh, but what they majorly emphasized, at least when I was in school, was costume renderings. And so, although it's not, it doesn't mean you're a good. It doesn't mean you're the great at costume design, but I'm always thrilled when I see a costume designer who actually does their own renderings as opposed to hiring an illustrator. Yeah, yeah. I think it's really cool. And he does, uh, Mark Bridges does his own costume designs, and they're really beautiful. You can find them online. In fact, the wedding dress, I think, is more beautiful in his sketch than it is in real life Mm. in the movie. Yeah, it's also, how do you even communicate, like, I mean, I guess you just use words, um, or like, (laughs) sorry. I guess you use, you know, costume language to communicate, but it seems like if I, I've always thought like if I was going to have someone ghostwrite for me or something, like how would I even explain the words that I want them to put down without figuring it out in my own head as I'm working on it? So it's like yeah. the, lang- the language to communicate your d- design ideas seems like it's just, it's just seems so connected to the drawing and the thinking. It would, yeah. seems like it would be hard to not be able to draw. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because um, it means if you hire an illustrator, you have to speak words to the illustrator to, and show them reference. I mean, that's a big part of it is you can just show them yeah. pictures of what you're getting at. Right. And I guess and, you can be like bias cut and, you know, other words like that sound costumey, but that are costumey. Um, <laughs> Got any more words? What's some yeah. more costumey words, Megan? Cupcake. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's a good one because I actually knew what you meant. <laughs> uh, taffeta. But yeah, so that is cool. And I, I actually didn't know that that was even an option to have other people draw your stuff because it yeah. seems... Especially like, like when the, I was in school in computer rendering wasn't even that much of a thing, but now it's, you know, an illustrator can use, I don't know, a drawing app, make something really yeah. slick looking as opposed to getting out their physical watercolors and painting something with their physical hands, you know, mm. anyway, mm. uh, high five to Mark Bridges. Let's go Mark. I love that you're doing your own sketches. They're beautiful. Me too. It's just interesting that like school kind of misleads you on what the costume designer's job is because it's not to be a fine artist or an illustrator. But anyway, okay, we're moving on. <laughs> but P.S. licenses both of those things. <laughs> and yet not a costume designer because that's not the major skill needed for that job. <laughs> exactly. Okay. So let's talk about, have you seen this before I made you watch it? I had seen parts of it because when you said Phantom Thread for like, I mean, for years we've talked about like, oh, how many people have recommended this movie? Yeah. Um, or for a year, I guess, since the podcast started. Yeah, um, it's been like, the, it's the first thing that people, like I tell them about the podcast right. or you tell them about the podcast and they say, oh, are you going to do Phantom Thread? And we yes. both say, no. Yeah. <laughs> In my mind, I thought Phantom Thread meant a children's book. I think I was mixing up with Phantom Tollbooth. Um <laughs> Um, so I was like, great, uh, but... <laughs> God, we're going to have to like watch a- another kids movie. But like, then I, I looked up the movie and I remembered something about being poisoned. And last night when I tried to watch it, we were both like, this is, we're both going to fall asleep because um, the music. So <laughs> um, this morning I got up and watched it and it was very, I was very bright eyed and bushy tailed for it because I was drinking my coffee and it's so beautiful mm-hmm. um, and it's so like ridiculous, but taking itself so seriously, which makes it yeah. you know, kind of comedic. The music is really present. Like it's really forward. 
And you really yeah. start to notice, like, it's almost like the characters think they're in a fancy drama world, but really the heightened music kind of takes it, it out a little bit so that you're like, oh, these people are nuts. <laughs> yeah, and we're kind of like laughing at them, yeah. um, which is the point. Uh, oh, I, I loved that the, the music completely stopped during the toast moment. And all you heard oh, is like, when scratch, 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 scratch with the toast. When she's first cutting it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, so I looked up real quick, what is the meaning of the name Alma? Oh. As, it seemed like sort of an, like an unusual name to my ears. And part of why I thought of this is um, in Inherent Vice, the, the narrator, her character is named Sordelige. And I, I remember thinking like, this name is weird. This name means something. And I looked it up and it means like fortune teller. Oh. It's kind of guiding the plot. And I was like, whoa. And so now whenever I um, watch a movie or read a book where a character has an odd name, I'm always like, what if it means something? <laughs> so, so does that name sound like a familiar name to you? To me, it was like an old Southern name, like um, Hortense or like something. Like Mabel. Mabel, yeah. yeah. Mabel's a cute one though. Alma's pretty cute. Yeah. So, okay. Hortense, so not so much. Alma does mean something. And I'm going to tell you in a minute what it means. Okay. He means suspense. <laughs> so in Latin, the word is almus, and it means nourishing. He chose it, that name on purpose. Yeah. And <laughs> she's... Yeah. Boy, is she. <laughs> <laughs> and then while I was at it, I also looked up Cyril, the sister's name. Mm -hmm. Because I was like, is Cyril... I mean, we all know that's a boy's name, but... Is it also a girl's name? Is it like, has it shifted over centuries of use or something? And I looked it up and no, Cyril is firmly a boy's name because it, it, the definition for that one is Lord or master, which I thought oh. was also really great because she is like absolutely the master of that house. Yes, yes. Reynolds is the creative force, but Cyril is the one who's like, I will hit you. <laughs> oh yeah, she says it. She was like, one of us is getting out of this fight and it's not going to be you. <laughs> yeah, that scene was like, oh shit. Cyril forever. Forever. She's like, I'm going to protect you from girlfriend uh, distractions, but also don't play with me because I'm the big around. sister. Like she yeah. was having major big sister vibes. Major big sister vibes. Yeah. <laughs> In fact, partway through the movie, I was like, do you think that Cyril is the big sister or the little sister? And Talga was like, oh, big, 100%. <laughs> yeah. Major big sister energy. Also, I loved Cyril. She's my favorite character in this. Yeah, she's I amazing. Loved, all of her outfits were my favorite outfits in this whole thing. I loved how she was just stony-faced the whole time. Mm -hmm. And she was also like, don't fuck with me. <laughs> and then she was like, don't fuck with Alma. She, about halfway through, she was like, I like her. Don't mess this up. I also loved when she said, do you guys think you can have this done by 9 a.m.? And she said, let me rephrase that. This dress will be finished by 9 a.m. Oh, yeah. Belgium. Yeah. And then she quietly went around to every single person and said, if you need to make a phone call, go ahead. But you're going to be working all night long. Oh, my God. I felt that in my core. <laughs> Me too. I was like, this is stressing Liza out for the sure. quiet ask. I mean, the amount of times I have received the quiet ask of like, you see someone coming at you at like 445 and you're like, oh, God. Oh, no. My night's yeah. over. And then they come over and like, could, could you stay? Uh, could you stay a little late tonight? Uh, you know, let's get this finished. <laughs> oh, my God. It was so civilized and quiet and polite. But I was just like, oh, everyone in this room, their hearts just sank. I mean, they already knew. Yes. All of them already yeah. knew. Yeah. And you know, some of them had dinner plans or they were going out to the theater or, 
or you know going home yeah. to take care of their babies uh-uh, and their cool London things tonight. yeah just hanging out in London in the 50s post-war <laughs> um okay so let's do a little cast and characters breakdown okay so we have Daniel Day-Lewis as um Ronald Woodcock mm-hmm. which like you know he's a method actor so like what a bummer to put up with this guy <laughs> like <laughs> both on and off camera like <laughs> yeah well that's the thing they say about method acting is you never hear anybody be like oh she's so nice oh she's not really it's just method acting she's method acting a nice person like no one's ever method acting a yeah. nice person that's such a good point it's always like <laughs> oh this person's a dick because they're method acting this person's a dick no they're actually kind of nice they're just method acting could they not though yeah could they just <laughs> turn it off like a normal actor and then just turn it back on when you walk in front of the camera that's like literally the the skill of acting (laughs) oh my goodness oh anyways um i mean this was his last movie he retired yeah he said this movie filled him with such a sense of sadness or or something similar to that yeah and also the level of work that daniel day lewis does as an actor whether he needs to or not is you know anyone's yeah you know whatever but he doing what he does is totally exhausting yeah just you know what I do know about acting and what I do know about like his process which isn't a ton but you decide this is the level of excellence you're going to operate at and you're either going to do it or not and there's no in between and it's probably just like I'm done I can't do it anymore I'm not going to half-ass it and yeah this will be the last time because it's hard yeah I mean he is (laughs) amazing his yeah. whatever his method is it's working. it totally works but it also probably drains him to his soul and he's yeah. like i can't do it anymore yeah and that's interesting that this is this would be a role that would just be so depressing on some level because mm-hmm. he's such a perfectionist and he's uh the character i mean but probably also daniel day lewis uh and the and the character's like kind of miserable and so in a lot of ways like yeah he's, he's devoid of joy but he's really good at what he does so you know yeah he's just like locked of... into his unhappy routines um so yes daniel day lewis plays reynolds woodcock then we have vicky creeps as alma who is his you know lover slash light murderer <laughs> oh my gosh lover, the... lover slash uh, disciplinarian they have a date and and the whole time you're like feeling sad for alma that was like is this a date is this an audition yeah great now this dude's sister is here they're all making fun of my bod they're taking my measurements (laughs) which also like when they said her measurements i feel like those aren't her accurate measurements did you think that at all or were you like whatever no i think that that's probably accurate i i don't think that they would say wrong measurements in this movie i think this movie Mm. is very about being correct uh i believed the measurements okay cool oh i really liked how often we saw hip pads like in the mm. muslin that she puts on, you can see there's like padding on on the hips. Yeah, it's like they want those they want those hips. Yeah, I mean if you're gonna get that tiny waist, you need some hips for contrast. Right, right. I also there was a moment where they were doing, you know, it was a close up on the measuring tape, and they said ten, nine, six and a half, and I was like, oh, that's her arm. He's just a yes. bicep, forearm, wrist. Like it, it just like. Having measured so many people, it was just like those are those are our measurements. I That's know what it. I was wondering. I was like, I wonder if she knows all of these numbers. I'm sure. I'm sure that you did. Yeah, and um, then Cyril is just writing them in, no- in a notebook without saying like when you take a measurement chart, you write down like bust what it is, 
waist, what it is, hip, what it is, yeah, you know, bicep, forearm, wrist, what it is. And she's not even writing the words because right, I saw that too. He has such a regular format yeah. of like the order that he's taking the measurements is something that they've established from years of working together. Yeah. So neither of them need to write down what it is. Like he can see the measurements and know this is the bust, this is bust waist hip, you know, all that right. stuff. All of the shorthand and the sort of like things that were going on were really so impressive in that way. Yeah. It's interesting that you know, anytime you have a movie that's about some sort of niche profession, like it makes me think of like Black Swan, like dancers hated Black Swan. I think a lot of seamstresses did not like this movie, but it's, I think this is a really, this, this has so many like true elements of the costume yeah. world. And ultimately it's not about costumes so everyone can just chill out just like black swan wasn't actually about ballet yeah but um yeah so many things were like this is real this is real measurements the people that they're they're greeting are real in fact i really loved that the order of introductions as far as like who we see in what order on camera it starts out with alma and the very next moment we cut to reynolds then we see cyril and then we see all the ladies that work in House of Woodcock as they're coming in in the morning and being greeted. Like the workroom, the ladies, that's the fourth character. And I thought that was mm. wonderful. Yeah. That was so yeah. cool. Yeah. And did you think that like that, because there's a lot of ladies, there's probably like 10. Um, and that yeah. was like a realistic amount for the amount of work that they were doing. Yeah, so one of the women in the movie is named Cecile Van Dyke, and she is uh, the actual cutter who made these costumes. She's a couture oh, cutter cool. from London. And so not only was she making these things, she's in a couple of scenes, like you just see her. And so like I didn't look into this too much to see like, yeah, you know, there's the one character, Biddy, who seems to be like the costume shop head who has speaking lines. She might not be a real seamstress or she might like, it really could be that they said, hey, um, professional seamstress, professional cutter, professional pattern maker, we need you for one day of shooting. Come in. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Make this look real. Mm -hmm. So that was really cool. I, I really admired this movie. No, I did too. I felt like it was really um, doing its due diligence in a lot of ways to show the amount of work and prestige and um, the order in which things needed to be done. Mm -hmm. uh, and how um, like tedious it is, uh, like uh, when you know she she says I can stand forever. She takes pride in how much she can stand him and literally stand. And she's like kind of setting the tone for um, you know the eventual role switch, which is going to happen. Yes, yeah, she can take it and then she can dish it out. All right, so we got Reynolds, who's played by Daniel Day Lewis. We've got. Alma, who's played by Vicky Creeps. Yeah, so Cyril is played by Leslie Mandeville, who, like, what else has she been in? She looks so yeah, familiar. I love her. So she's in The Crown. She plays Princess Margaret. Is that the most recent one? Yeah. Okay, I watched it when I had COVID, so yeah. <laughs> I'm going to have to rewatch it. Give it a rewatch. <laughs> yeah, she's awesome. Yeah, she's great. And those are, like, the three characters. Those three and the ladies. All the seamstresses and pattern makers. Yeah. Who are the fourth character. Yeah. Okay, so the time, I had written down the time is 1954. It doesn't actually say that in the movie. I think that's a big fat lie of Wikipedia. So the time is the 1950s. The place is London at their atelier, but also they go out to their country house sometimes. So it's mm -hmm. all, you know, London adjacent. 
or in London. And um, just kind of a quick context note. So World War II ended in 1945. And if we're saying this is the early 50s, it's like 10 years later. Fabric rationing continued after the war. In America, we didn't have ration books, but in England, they had actual, like a physical book of coupons that said how much of different staple things that you need you can buy, including fabric. And so once those uh, stopped being required for you to buy fabric, we get this amazing explosion of like large skirts and like folds and folds and folds of fabric and oh, yeah, and like ball gowns and big, you know, drapery wraps. Yeah, like I, I think of like the vibe of fashion in the 40s was like capable, strong, doing work. Kind of utilitarian. Yeah. yeah, utilitarian. And then in the 50s, it's like, you know, just sumptuous, just gorgeous, just extravagant, extra yeah, yeah, extremely feminine, delicate. Yeah. So that's kind of where we are with like Reynolds Woodcock and the things that he's designing. But it's also interesting that I was reading um, uh, some interviews with Mark Bridges where he's talking about how like Reynolds is a good, solid English designer. He's not avant-garde. He's not like especially stylish. And he's got that whole thing about the, hating the word chic. Yeah. He's not a great designer, but he is, but he's solid. Like he understands a certain section of society and how to dress those specific women, which is why yeah. his fashion house is maybe kind of going downhill because he's not keeping up with his with what would be the up and coming new clientele. Right. Um, yeah. It made me think about like just any kind of art that you're doing and how like when you sort of collide with what is hot or what is happening or you, like you become the thing, there's always this fear and kind of realization that you won't be that forever. And it's mm. like he's he's clearly done the same thing. You know, he's very good at what he does. He has a certain a certain his style and he has taste in his way and he's very sort of like arrogant and informed in his own way but it's like he knows he will become outdated and go out of style at some point he may come back in but it's like that idea of just like you're doing the mm. same thing and he's sometimes kind of angry people, about it yeah sometimes people want it and then sometimes they move on to the next hot thing it's not even like he can adapt because he's always only done what he's done um, which I think is true in a lot of fields for a lot of people. Like you do what you do and the world kind of decides if they like it or not. And then they're gone again and they might come back. And, you know, so that his sort of sense of powerlessness in that way mm -hmm. kind of explains to me why he's so insane. Yeah. <laughs> is that like he's, you know, holding on to what he can control because the market, of course, is out of his hands and the desire is out of his hands to a degree. And I think so, it's correct yeah, when he... to not chase trends. Like, totally. Because yeah. then you're not being like genuine to like your true aesthetic. Right. But you also can't control when your aesthetic is what no is no, no longer wants. desired. <laughs> yeah. Which is horrifying. Yeah. Like, especially when you've had that. You've had that. He's obviously yeah. reached the pinnacle of his success, but can you like, sustain it? Why isn't it? this still working? Yeah. Right. Right. I love that moment when he came out and said, um, right before he collapsed, he said, the dress is ugly. Or it's not good, is it? Oh, that was so sad. Yeah. Yeah. It was so sad because the dress is like clearly a work of art and so complicated, but it's just like when you decide something's not there, there's no like talking you out of it. I thought it was very kind that he said, uh, he first said like, excellent work. This yeah. is well done. It's just not very good, is it? Yeah. Like he was like all the ladies were standing and presenting it to him. And he was just like, it's not you guys, it's me. 
Did you mm-hmm. get the impression that he was blaming Alma? Like Alma was supposed to be his muse and the muse was failing him? Not then, but but later. Later I did. Okay. Maybe that's what was intended, but I, I didn't feel yet like he felt like she was responsible for his distraction. Yeah, but I guess it, it's like that fear of like the more you let your personal life be enjoyable the more your work's gonna suffer even if you don't put it even if you don't put it together yet (laughs) but it doesn't have to be like that like a lot of people draw in the joy of their life and put it into their work and he just doesn't know how to do that because he doesn't have any yeah or they become so paranoid that they decide that there's a that there's a connection the paranoia that any sort of relinquishing of control in his personal life is going to then lead to his professional life falling apart kind of like by design if anything goes wrong in his professional life, it's because of that. He can have that out. So he's not blaming himself. Right. He's blaming something outside of himself. It's like the causation, you know, what do they say in science? Correlation doesn't equal causation. Like just because two yeah. things are happening doesn't mean one has caused the other. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about could, would, and should. We're going to start with could they. Okay, so the sewing moment that we're talking about, we have like the, the whole spring fashion line. We're going to discard that because they're a fashion house. They do fashion donezo like yeah they could yeah they would yeah they should it's their job yeah (laughs) we're gonna talk about the wedding dress so the house of woodcock has created this wedding dress for a princess it's the day before they're gonna ship it to belgium for her wedding so the dress is on a dress form it's finished let me interrupt for one second wouldn't (laughs) she have come to the house again to make sure it fit and everything it's it's actually very possible that she had a final fitting right before the actual final 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 things were done like she may have come in for a final fitting to adjust the hem and now it's 100% done is going to her which is also strange how he says it's not very good because it's like she's obviously happy with it like yeah she's happy with it but he's not happy with it yeah no okay he's he's an artist (laughs) yeah girl (laughs) so in this moment it's on the dress form all the ladies of his fashion house are standing around he's giving it one last inspection and then uh i think what would have happened next if things had progressed normally is they would have carefully taken it off the dress form they would have put it in a giant box with tissue packing all around it made it really safe and then probably a courier would have hand delivered it you know to belgium <laughs> literally like taking it on train or yeah something. i mean wow i i carried your wedding dress i didn't let it out of my hands and the, you you're not a princess I mean, (laughs) Uh. so yeah, so instead what happens is he walks up to the wedding dress and succumbs to the mushroom poison tea, falls over on it. And the injuries that the wedding dress sustains are the lace of the bodice on one side is torn. Mm -hmm. There is shoe polish on the front and a stain. The time frame that they have here now is overnight because Cyril has that wonderful question of how long will this take to fix? And the lady says, I don't know. And Cyril says, let me put this another way. This will be done by 9 a.m. <laughs> right. Now, if you look at a costume design sketch or a photo of this dress, you will see that it does not have a waist seam. The skirt of the dress is darted and goes all the way up to the midriff seam, to the underbust. And then we've got a side seam. And then we've got like this big, beautiful, like full skirt with train in the back. So it's not just a matter of taking out a front panel up to a waist seam and taking that out and just recutting a new one. Mm-hmm. I mean, even that's not, that's not nothing. You got to 
cut the satin, you got to mount it on uh, probably organza, Oof. stitch it all back in. But because it goes all the way up to the underbust seam, that means they have to remove the bias band that's under the bust. They got to take all that out. They got to cut a new one. They got to mount it on organza or whatever it is. And then the bodice, it's got that lace, which he has another moment in the movie where he talks about how um, some other lace is an antique lace. So this is probably also an antique lace that they don't have a lot of. We don't even yeah. get into that in the movie. But they've, what they definitely got to do is recut the bodice front, just that one side that's ripped. And it has little buttons and loops that go all along the center front, all the way up to the neck. They've got to either take the, those existing ones out and put it into the new piece or make new loops for the buttons. Because it's, uh, it's the right side that tears, and that's the side that would have the loops rather than the buttons. And then they have to put everything back together and oh. so one of the scenes that you see is one of the scenes that you see is them all together, like rehemming it. And because this is couture, like the scenes are very silent because they're not all at machines. They're all, they're doing this by hand. And so they have, they have overnight to do it. So, I mean, our question is, could they do it? Yeah, that's what they do. <laughs> it's a lot, <laughs> but these are pros. <laughs> yeah. All right, Megan, I want you to ask me if I've ever been asked to stay overnight to uh Liza <laughs> fix a costume have you ever been asked to stay overnight to fix a costume yes <laughs> I'm so surprised <laughs> has there ever been a costume disaster that you had to fix in your career all right so I'm gonna tell you about two of them yes they're, please they're, do neither of them involve uh well I, I mean I don't know I was gonna say they're not as high stakes as a princess but I mean maybe do they involve them... celebrities yeah, I mean, one of them was the movie Blades of Glory. There's a number in, like, one of the ice skating numbers in that movie is a Tron-themed ice skating number. And the day before it was going to film, uh, they decided that the black and white costumes needed color, so they were going to add purple. So if you look at photos of those costumes, they are black, white, and purple. And they're leotards that are threaded all throughout with LED lights because it's Tron, no. so that they can yeah. light. So we took out all the LED tracks and lights. They went to whoever, I, I don't know if they were dyed or printed. I think they were probably printed with the purple. Oh, I I'm mean, looking at it right now. Yeah, I think we also had to like take out the side seams so they could get them flat again or something. Wow. And so then we ended up staying. It was probably like 10 of us because of course it's not just two costumes, it's multiples. And so we were all staying late into the night hand sewing the led tracks back in oh my god Liza! They, each light had a little eyelet that it the light would go through but then behind the fabric there's a track connecting it to its next light right and all of those little points had to be like the tracks had to be like hand sewn in at certain points so that they wouldn't just be like a mess of wires inside yeah i mean and we were only there until like 11 so we weren't even there overnight like these ladies fixing this wedding dress but it was still like it, i mean like it's seven a... hours or something after you would normally go home yeah that's, that's a really Six long hours. day to get there at like yeah. 8 a.m and leave yeah. at 11 p.m and it's a another funny thing that i think about sometimes with costumes is like i remember just thinking like this is not cool like this is not worth it this is the stupidest thing i've ever seen why didn't they just leave it white and then like six months later, you go and watch the movie and you're like, I love it. <laughs> yeah. Wow. How satisfying to see how much it adds just having that color and the lights and stuff to the ridiculousness yeah. of the story. <laughs> this is one where my two favorite people from work, we went and saw it in theater together. Rory? It was, 
Yeah, Rory and David. <laughs> Rory and David. Oh. We all three went to see it and just howled. Just We just laughed the whole time. It was so fun. How satisfying. Yeah. Yeah, because I also had a joke where, like, sometimes you'd be st- you'd be asked to stay late, and I would just turn to whoever, and I'd be like, well, the good thing is, this is the best movie ever. And then we all just <laughs> like, wow! <laughs> the good thing is, this movie is worth the work. <laughs> now, <laughs> can you laughing. say no, since you're in a union? If you had some kind of household emergency, but it's really, like, it's it would be... Uh, look down on but you get time and rude but you get time and a half or something right if you were to say no i'm going home i'm not going to do this you know that you're dumping the your section of the work onto whoever did stay oh right okay i mean you're definitely you're you're compensated for your overtime because it like has to get done so someone's going to be doing it yeah like if it has to be picked up at 9 a.m the next morning and you peace out you know that you're just dumping your work onto your friend right and that sucks so you yeah. try not to do that. But also you really hope that the person higher up from you will say no so that you don't have to do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so then the other time is, um, I mean, working theater, you end up working up against a deadline a lot where like, you know, there's a first dress the next day. And so when, once when I was at the Colorado Shakespeare Festival, I was the draper. We had like a hymn to finish. So I was like, I'm going to make this fun. So I had like my stitcher on the other side of the hymn and we had a race to get around to each other to finish it. <laughs> well, that's so cute. But then the funny thing is, is I was sewing along and she was like so far behind me. And I started to slow down because I didn't want her to feel bad. And she was still so far behind me. And 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 I was like, what is happening? <laughs> and so I finally like looked over to see like, how is she going so slow? And it turned out that she was cross-stitching the hem, whereas I was like, whip, 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 whip. And so I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> We're going fast. <laughs> yeah. Completion, not perfection. Yeah, yeah. That's it was such funny. a funny moment of like, oh, I'm going to make this fun. And then like, wait, why isn't this fun? Those are two times when I had to stay late and things happened. And yeah, so could they? Of course. Uh, but I have another quick aside. Did you know that when I was at UNC, I did a fashion show? I remember it. I think I came to it. Is that where the pink sequin pants were featured? Yes. <laughs> yep. So there was a just open casting for models for this fashion show. All of the multicultural groups getting together to do this uh, big presentation. And part of it was this fashion show. So I was like, ooh, I'm going to I'm going to model. I'm going to be in this. Yes. So like there was a day where they were going to cast all the models. So like, I don't know, 30 people showed up. And I remember like we had to walk toward the judges who were all at a row of tables, kind of like like America's Next Top Model type situation. Mm-hmm. And I remember like. I walked down and they're all just giving me like bitchy fashion face. Like they were just like, mm-hmm. no girl. Stone, stone face. Cold fashion face. And I did my little turn and I went back down the runway. So, okay. So I think I did an okay job. But where I went wrong was I wrote on my application that I could sew. And so I didn't get to model. I had to, I had to make the fashion. <laughs> it was me and one other girl who were willing to sew. And the organizer. So the three of us, it was kind of a funny situation where like, obviously the modeling was the focus and the, what we were had on was completely secondary. But we had um, a little budget and we all went shopping and got fabric, made a bunch of fashions. You know, we were there on the day of the fashion show to dress the people. And then we all like, the three of us walked out and took a little bow. And so it's funny that like, part of me is like, God, I, I should never have admitted that I knew how to sew. Yeah. I could have walked the fashion show. But then on the other hand... 
like the sketches I had done and the the actual like physical garments that I made and photos in the fashion show. I mean, that's part of what got me into School of the Arts. So I was wow. able to use the things I had made that I wouldn't have done if I'd walked the show. Did you design stuff for every single person that walked? So I think it was about 10 things. I mean, if there were 30 people walking and there were three of us making fashion. And what were you designing? Oh my gosh, a bunch of nonsense. It was like, there was one dress that was a bunch of CDs kind of linked <gasps> together. I remember that. And it was like, over a black slip. Yes. And you just designed that? Like, yeah, just, you just like, thought I, of it? I'll make that. And then I, you know, there was one dress that was made out of bubble wrap. Oh, yes. I remember uh, that too. Oh, there was, I got um, somebody in the sculpture department to cut up a bunch of computer boards for me into slices. And I sandwiched it in between plastic and made a computer corset. And then it had like a little black tutu skirt underneath. Wow. So and it was just was like a... design whatever you want. And these were it the was... ideas you came up with? <laughs> yeah. It was, there was, there was no focus to this fashion show. It was, oh, cool, we need these people to have clothing on. <laughs> yeah. No, I remember this. Make I whatever. Was like, there's no, my sister over, genius. there's no theme to this fashion show. It's whatever you guys want to make. We're just glad yeah. somebody can make stuff. <laughs> All right, let's move right on to would they sew it? Okay. Would they sew this wedding dress and would they fix it overnight after their boss um, falls over on it? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah, they would. It's their job. This is why we didn't do this movie before in season one. It's their job. <laughs> There's no, no nothing at stake here in terms of can they accomplish the thing that they are trained to do forever yeah. and ever and ever. <laughs> Does yep. it suck that they have to stay all night and fix this problem? Yeah. But can they? Yeah. And would they? Yeah. Because that's what they do. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about the secret messages sewn inside the gown. Mm, never Did cursed. You... Yeah. I was kind of like, bro. Yeah. How about just right, fortunate. Yeah. Also, Never like cursed. It's her, it's her wedding gown. Like you need to kind of bring it for this. Yeah, and it's a secret message she's never gonna see. Flip it, make it positive. <laughs> yeah, and she may see it. What if she's like feeling around on her dress on her wedding night and finds that there's something in there and decides to look at it? Megan, would, did you look at the inside of your wedding dress at all? <laughs> Well, I can just picture like you're sitting, you're like reflecting on the night and you just are like, I'm so beautiful. And you're like, oh, what's this like hard thing? And then you pull it out and you're like, ah. And then I'm like, my next instinct is to cut open my own dress and see what's inside of it. Okay. Yes. I see how that's a stretch. <laughs> yeah. No, I didn't hide anything in your wedding dress. Although there are, there are lots of weird little superstitions about wedding dresses that um, like I, I've read one that was like the seamstress sews a strand of her own hair into the hem. Mm. And I read another one that is like, it's actually good luck if you, if, if somebody pricks their finger on a wedding dress and then cleans it. And I'm like, no, 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 none of this is actual like superstitions. This is just ways to cover up things that it will inevitably happen. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Which leads me of course to the needles in the mouth. Liza, oh my God. Were you, were you I, freaking out? Jason was like, is that a thing? And I was like, it is not, I don't know much. But Liza has told me many times, you not put pins in your mouth. Don't put pins in your just mouth. Just don't do it. You don't do it. I mean, put unfortunately, it, it is a thing that people do, but they should never, never do they it. They shouldn't do it. What happens <laughs> if you swallow it. it? Especially in the 50s. You're you're toast. You're definitely toast. You're definitely like, you're going to die faster than the main character of the movie who uh, is being poisoned regularly by his wife. Mm -hmm. Oh, I wanted to bring up. Okay, so the dress that they make for Lady Harding it's kind of early in the film. It's purple. It has a narrow pink skirt with a purple overskirt. 
There's a standing yeah. collar in the back, the, and this neckline is square, and it has rows of white puffs down the bodice. You know which one I'm talking about? Yeah, that was beautiful. I thought it was weird looking, uh, mainly because it really looked like this. That's what I said. I was like, oh, it's the Snow White dress. Yeah. So, listener, I just showed <laughs> Megan a picture of Snow White. I loved it. I was like, oh, look, it's Snow White. That's what I said when we were watching. Yeah. Snow White has puff sleeves, and then there's it's slashed with a puff coming out. Mm -hmm. And what that's referencing is like sort of Henry VIII era. In order to show off how wealthy you are, you would slash your sleeves or doublet and pull through the underlayer of fabric so it make a little puff. So it's like, not only do I have this awesome velvet, underneath it, there's this other awesome something else. And I'm cool. so wealthy that I've slashed this one and pulled this forward. So it's just like a really, like a heavy display of wealth. Oh, interesting. And I thought it was interesting for like the 50s where you're allowed to show off wealth again with your clothing. Right, right. Like it hits regal, it hits rich, it screams all those things and not in a terribly subtle way, but it actually looks a lot like Snow White. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what I read was that Daniel Day-Lewis did the initial sketch for that dress. He did like a, a costume, like a kind of a rough sketch. And then Mark Bridges and his cutter, Cecile Van Dyke, they together um, sort of refined it and then created that dress. And I just love that like, it's in the movie, the movie doesn't question it. But you can question it as a, as a right. viewer. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. If you look at a close-up of the Lady Harding dress, you can see that it's not actually an underlayer being pulled through. The purple of the bodice is a velvet that's cut into these sort of pointed oval windows that show the pale pink underneath that's just flat. And then there's a vertical row of pearls from point to point of these sort of oval shapes. But anyway, I just thought that that yeah. was interesting, weird looking dress that rings certain bells that you're not really sure, but you've yeah. them. <laughs> yeah, mine was total Snow White. <laughs> okay, so the lady who they took the dress off, Barbara Rose, he didn't even want to make a dress for her, but Cyril was like, boyfriend, with this house. that's where our yeah. money comes from. You yeah. can make her a dress. <laughs> It was interesting because she had that moment in the fitting where she was looking in the mirror and she's just like, I'm just, I'm just ugly. Yeah. Like no dress is going to fix this. Having to face herself in the mirror and just feeling terrible. And like, I've seen that in fitting sometimes and like, it is, it is sad. And yeah. I, when I have been in a fitting with somebody who's feeling like that, I do my best to reassure them, comfort them in some way. But Reynolds does not. Mm -mm. <laughs> He's just like, all I can do is make you a dress, lady. Like, he's not, yeah. uh, he has no empathy for that feeling of like, I'm here to spend a lot of money on a dress and I know it's not going to do any good. Mm. But also, she was, um, I thought it was also interesting that they really, like, the movie makes us feel sympathetic toward her briefly. But then when they're in that press conference, Barbara Rose and the, the new husband and the son, like, basically, it comes out that she, either she or her new husband were doing war profiteering. And so you're immediately like, oh, no, we do hate her. Yeah, she was a big old mess. Yeah, I love that, like, what really pushed um, him over the edge into loving Alma was when she insisted they go rip the dress off of her body because that was his work. I think that's that the first time work. we see them kiss. Yeah, I think so, too. I think yeah. it's the only time they kiss in the whole movie. Well, except for the end when he's about to start vomiting and they're all, like, being kissy and giggly and you're like, no thank you to this. <laughs> <laughs> I know. All right. Let's 
move on to should they sew it? Um, I mean, yeah, that's yeah. what they came to work that day for. It's the whole business that they're in. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah, that's <laughs> what he wants to say. <laughs> totally. Well, one other really cool costume thing with this is the costume designer, Mark Bridges, created a wardrobe of clothing for Daniel Day-Lewis. Daniel Day-Lewis chose each outfit from this, this wardrobe as if he was a person getting dressed in the morning. So he chose every outfit that we see in each scene, the combinations of like the cravats and the shirts and the jackets and like- Interesting. Cause there's yeah. one, I think it's when he came down to dinner with her the night that they had their fight when she cooked dinner. Yeah. He's wearing what looked to me like pajamas. Yes. But with an over vest and like something fancy on top of it. And I was like, is he- yeah, from, it's like they from let what it... I read, they were like waiting to see him come down the stairs. Like, what is this man going to choose for this moment? And then, yeah, it was his light purple pajamas and a cravat and like maybe a cardigan over it. And then his country jacket is the yeah. one that he wears when he's at his country house because it's like a green plaid. It's not even like one of his nice London jackets. Like, he's just like, I hate this interruption to my routine. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not going to dress, gonna dress accordingly. Nice. I'm going to be uh, a total dick about it. <laughs> total dick. I also really liked that when they got married, she wore like a really um, sort of smart suit. But it seemed like, you know, because he doesn't like anything ostentatious really for himself. And she's very kind of um, matter of fact in her own way. And I was mm -hmm. like, oh, the suit looks so good. Yeah. Um, okay. Now it is time, Megan, for our lightning round of could, would, and should. But before we do that, Let's just list off some other better fashion movies that uh, I only mean better in the sense that maybe they're really about fashion. So that if you want to get angry and be like, this movie wasn't about fashion. Well, yeah, it wasn't about fashion. It's a it's about a relationship, people. <laughs> That's why we weren't going to do it. <laughs> the sewing does not affect the plot. Uh, <laughs> am I being too mean? Should I not tease the listener for wanting this movie so bad? <laughs> no, no, I think it's fine. Okay. <laughs> All right, so there's uh, one that I saw recently is a documentary called The Battle at Versailles. It's a documentary from 2016. It is about the huge fashion show in 1973 that took place at Versailles. And it was Ooh. a it was as a fundraiser because Versailles needed some major repairs. And it was between the best French and the best American fashion houses. And this documentary is really wonderful because it's got a lot of footage from the fashion show. And then it has footage with the designers and models now, like Pat Cleveland, uh, China Machado, and, and just like all these really cool big name models. And it's really wonderful to see them now, just talking about what a great experience that was then. Nice, I wanna check um, that out. Now also uh, there's Funny Face, 1957, Audrey Hepburn, Fred Astaire, Kay Thompson, uh, amazing movie. <laughs> all right. There's the September issue from 2007. I really enjoyed that one because you think it's about Anna Wintour, but Grace Coddington totally steals the show. That's just kind of wonderful. It's walking you through the production of the September issue of Vogue for that year. Nice. Yeah, I've um, heard of that one. Another documentary is Unzipped from 1995, which is following Isaac Mizrahi as he designs a collection. And it has lots of recognizable models, like if you were reading fashion magazines in the 90s. Um, and cool. then of course, I mean, we can't walk away from a fashion movie without talking about Zoolander, 2001. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I mean, possibly the best fashion movie of all time. Blue Steel. I mean, you're making a model face. Oh my gosh, is that from Zoolander? That's from, the, that's from Zoolander. Yep. Oh my god, I love it. Yep. All right. Anyway, back to our lightning round. Megan, are you ready to shout out whether they could, would, and should? I'm stay ready, up Liza. Late at night. I'm ready to do it. Fixing this wedding dress. <laughs> All right. Could they? Yes. yes. Would they? Yes. yes. Should they? Yes. Yes. I mean, I guess. I yeah. mean, otherwise, what's the what else would they do? do? Otherwise, he would just die. Yeah. Now I'm hoping that as soon as they shipped off that dress. Reynolds went to his country house and he gave all the ladies a, uh, a week off. And a bonus. <laughs> all right. Well, that solves that. Listener, if you listener, if you have a thread on you somewhere right now and your friends also have threads on them, why not share this episode with your friends? <laughs> yeah. If you watch this movie and you're like, their relationship is great, then yeah, share it with <laughs> yeah. anybody. One thing I read just really fleetingly before we got on was about something that was like, um, the movie's interesting because instead of trying to get out of an abusive pattern, they both just kind of embrace it and agree that like, this is the pattern that they're going to do. And so then mm, it, yeah. it becomes less about like one person being victimized and, and more about them both being like, okay, we're, we're both just going to do this fucked up thing and makes us really happy. Yeah. So I thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> and oddly like made it a little bit more delightful and a little less alarming yeah not delightful and, but and a you're little right. more understandable i love that um yeah i mean i forget that like the whole thing about streaming and watching a movie at home is you don't you don't get the audience laughing and to point out to you like oh this is funny yeah um so yeah. that's kind of cool that like uh or like it's okay to laugh at this strange and ama like sort of amazing tone that this movie strikes of being both serious and dramatic and also completely making fun of itself. Yeah. All right. Uh, we have an email and an Instagram. They are on our show notes. If you ever have like a sewing question or you want to suggest a movie, you know, that's where that can go. Yeah. All right. Megan, please say hi to our listener in Tokyo. Oh! <gasps> How cool. Hello, listener in Tokyo. Isn't that cool? <laughs> wow. All right, and I'm going to say hi to our listener in Detroit. Hi, Detroit. What's up, Detroit? Say hi to Eminem. <laughs> I don't Wait. think he's there anymore. <laughs> no, he's probably not. No, he probably is. Oh, man. What if he is our listener? What if he was playing the role of Reynolds Woodcock? Okay, it'd be a different movie. A little, yeah. Just a little bit different. Not yeah. that much different. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, Megan, bye. All right, Liza, bye. Thank you for listening to There's No Thread. Keep it threaded. <laughs>